This is the ZMAR Podcast. Elite Benefits of America helps small and mid-sized companies with their health insurance programs. And now, your host, Butch ZMAR. So welcome back to the ZMAR Podcast. Today, I got Tyler Williams with me. And Tyler has uh, got a big history behind him. He's uh, done some country music singing. He's raced uh, with some of the best out there, uh, race car, that is. And so welcome to the show, Tyler. Butch, thanks for having me. Can you give our audience just a little bit of background on who you are, where you're at, and how did you get to where you're at today? For most of the last 20 years, I've leveraged my relationship with fear in the context of a country music career and driving race cars. And so as a country music senior race car driver, encountering fear every single day as I step out on stages and racetracks, learning how to compete, how to lead, how to communicate. And I use all of that to help audiences and clients create their own breakthroughs, step into their fear, embrace difficult conversations, and ultimately change their life and business. And obviously fear is every day, right? And a lot of the people that listen to this podcast, they were either at one point or in, in some place um, that was fearful, such as entrepreneurship, right? Building a business uh, or even just managing people or leading a team um, in, in so many different ways. What's the timeline? Country music started first or the racing or was it one of the same? So I sang as a kid, had a bad performance in middle school, didn't perform for over a decade. Mm-hmm. And at the, towards the end of that decade, I started racing cars and that helped start gaining my confidence back, being in the public eye, talking on camera, doing interviews. And then my mid twenties, I started doing karaoke and that was kind of my entry way to get back into music. That started what's been almost a 15 year love affair with creating music, going from the karaoke world to open mic nights. And that led me to creating some original music and eventually making the move to Nashville where I've been for the last five years. So it's kind of had a little bit of overlap back and forth until the last maybe seven years where I combined both of them and was, was working them at the same time. So let's talk about getting up on uh, on stage, right? So a lot of people have this huge fear, right? They don't want public speaking is right up there on the list, right? And so what what are some of the things that helped you get through that? That you took a 10-year break, right? So how did you get back to starting to sing again and performing? Well, I had an experience like many people where you get up on stage and you forget the lyrics to a song and you make a declaration, I'll never do that again because you don't want to feel the fear, the shame, the embarrassment, right? Mm-hmm. And so getting back up, it was just a, I went through a breakthrough or a breakup in my twenties and that helped me get on stage that first time, but I still realized I had work to do. One of the number one things I did was go to improv classes. So I found a local acting studio and I went to improv classes. I'd done Dale Carnegie before and that was great. That helped me learn how to you know, hone my skill as a speaker and kind of the framework of how you might approach speaking. But to go to improv classes is where I really found the freedom to fail, the freedom to maybe feel stupid and in a safer environment because everybody was looking stupid or doing things that were essentially failures. Sure. But you learn to have the freedom that it's okay to make mistakes. And eventually you get to the point where you realize that the things that you think are mistakes, the audience rarely ever sees or feels. Mm-hmm. And so you just learn tools and techniques of how to embrace the moment, being very present as, on, as you get on stage. Mm-hmm. And that's half the battle is, is owning the experience so that you don't be owned by what's happening externally. Let's talk about the racing a little bit. Obviously, there's a huge amount of fear. There's a lot of adrenaline rush, right? So the motor's running, right? It's not a normal car engine. Uh, maybe when you start it's a go-kart, right? And then you move your way up. But, you know, how is some of the fear on the track? And and I think you've done both dirt and track uh, like asphalt, right? Both of them. And then so can you talk through some of the fears and how you got through some of those um, situations while racing on the track? Well, I'm ambitious and I don't do things the traditional route. 
And so most people would start at a local track in a legend car or a bandolero or a go-kart, work their way up through several divisions. I just jumped into the top division at my local track and started in a pro late model as a 19 year old. I had no idea what I was doing. And so when you're showing up, I was sitting next to the guy who was leading the points and his dad was walking over talking to us, you know, where'd you come from? Where have you been racing? It's like, no, I've never raced before. Oh, like, well, what track did you come from? No, like I've never driven a race car before. It's my first race. And you see his eyes get really big. Like this guy's about to race with us. Like, this is not good. Um, and so you feel the tension of that, right? There, there's veterans who've been running for 15 or 20 years at that same track and have tens of thousands of laps to year zero. And so you just have to learn to embrace the moment, step into the fear, the, the discomfort of you only know what you know in any given moment. And the only way to gain the experience and knowledge is to step out and do the thing you want to do. And I thought I was on a path to be the next Jeff Gordon, right? And you know, yeah, I wasn't anticipating that I would be that because that's such a rare error. You know, Dale Earnhardt, Jimmy Johnson, mm-hmm. Jeff Gordon, Tony Stewart. Mm-hmm. I thought I had what it takes to compete. And I quickly found out it was a long journey. But it was in accepting that this is going to be a journey that I committed to showing up every week. And over time, that adrenaline, it doesn't wear off, but it lessens. You know, that thrill, that speed, you, you start to get used to it. You start to slow things down, the process. And you, you really get dialed in and connected to the experience of what it's like to drive. And then getting into dirt racing, that was a whole nother animal because the style is totally different. And again, it's, you only know what you know in any given moment. And each time you're on the track is a, another moment to feel into, to learn, to process. What do I need to do as a driver to be better, to lead, to communicate, not just with the team, but even with me in the race car. One of the things I picked up doing some homework on you before our interview is that something led to you meeting Tony Stewart. And so can you share with our audience, how was that experience? How'd you get there? And then what was the experience uh, shaking hands with Tony? So I was at the Chili Bowl, which is a a national midget race in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Every January, it's a week-long event. There's 350 plus drivers that come from all over the country and even New Zealand and Australia to compete for this final night on Saturday night. And so on a qualifier night, I think I was on a Wednesday or Thursday, I was out there and I ended up making contact with another driver and I went over his right rear. And so it kind of threw me up in the air. Another guy was on my outside. He went over my right rear and it flipped mm-hmm. him around. I went head first into the wall going, I don't know how fast, but it was fast enough that it hurt. And then this car landed on top of me, almost landed on top of my head because it's an open wheel car. So you're, you're fairly exposed yeah. minus the, the cage around you. And so I'm sitting there waiting for them to get the other car off the top of my car. And then I start taking my helmet off and I stand up and you can tell everybody's kind of worried to make sure I'm okay. Cause the car, yeah, sure. See my, my seat was bent a little bit. And as I get out, I, I turn and the first hand that grabs my arm is Tony Stewart because Tony really loves the chili bowl. He, you know, his history in dirt racing, everybody knows he comes from a, a dirt background. And so he grabs my arm, makes sure I can you know, safely get out of the car. And he's looking at me in the eyes like, are you all right? You know, are you doing okay? And he's basically just saying, you took a hard hit. If the second you start feeling anything, you're telling me you don't need to go to the ambulance, but the second you feel any, you know, nausea or just disorientation, if that happens, you need to get back down here and get checked out. But, um, the first, the last person I expected to meet in that moment, as I'm stepping out of a race car, I just smashed into the wall, banged at my knees, you know, had some severe whiplash was Tony Stewart. And so to, to meet a multi-time Cup Series champion, you know, you've seen him walking around racetracks before, but it's another thing to have him help you out of the race car, look in the eye. And, you know, he, he didn't say you're an idiot for crashing the car, but it's like, you know, don't be an idiot and uh, try to tough it out if you start having some uh, brain 
brain injury stuff mm-hmm. going on. So yeah, uh, he, you can tell he, he cared about his race car drivers that are at the track. You know, he helps prep the track and the surface because in dirt racing, you have to prep it between uh, different qualifiers and heats to make sure that the track prep is good. So he, he really takes care of the, the drivers and I was driving for his friend, Corey Cruzman. And so he, he came over to check on me. That's awesome. And, you know, as you were talking through that, there was a lot of things you were, um, you were referencing that related to move back to, um, business. Right. And so how many business owners out there that, you know, ends up feeling like they crashed into the wall, right? Are they looking for maybe the uh, Tony Stewart Stewart needs to reach out and shake their hand and say, Hey, are you doing okay? Yeah. I mean, every business owner goes through some challenges, right? You can be a early stage entrepreneur or you can be very successful but you feel like you're plateauing and there's something happening that nobody knows about going on internally and you're showing up fighting that battle every day. And sometimes we need that person that can come by and stand next to you and say, Hey, like I'm here for you. You're not alone in this. And maybe it's not somebody on your team, but you still have somebody that can stand in that gap for you to let you know, Hey, like you're going to get back up and do it again. And you're going to be okay next time. A lot of leadership lessons there. Right. And, and move into the business world and individual coaching that you do, whether they're uh, owner of the company or their employees, or, you know, just anybody out there trying to achieve a different level, you came up with this program that's called um, the, the fear formula, right? So can you walk our audience through how did you come up with this? And then um, maybe like, how are you using this with clients to actually move them to the next level? Well, both in music and racing, I found that those moments leading up to those high stakes situations, whether you know, we're just getting ready to fire off the engines to go racing, whether it was stepping on stage to give a speech or a performance, I would have some mental anxieties that would really put me in that fear loop. And it wouldn't derail the performance, but it took away the joy and the power of stepping into that with uh, myself focused, ready to hit flow state and perform. And initially I found myself doing pieces of the five minute fear formula on my own, just organically. And then I realized this is what I was actually doing to help myself settle in, ground myself, for the performance. And what it does is help me embrace my fear to be able to unlock not just my potential, but the expression of how I show up in the world and allows you to take ownership of whatever situation you're in. So let's say you're going into the boardroom, you've got a a powerful meeting, you're you're trying to do some fundraising or you're you're raising your next round. Maybe you're trying to inspire your team because you wanna see a shift in culture, but you have those fear moments where your heart starts racing, maybe you get a little bit that physiological sensation in your body, some tingling, or just that mental distraction. The the fear formula helps you ground yourself, empower the moment. And so that's where we start. We empower ourselves. We set a timer for two minutes and you just want to write down as many of your lifetime skills, accomplishments, wins that you've had in your lifetime. You can go all the way back to childhood. You learn to walk, you learn to talk, you learn to run, you learn to do something that was uncomfortable at one point in your life. You went to university, you got that degree, you started that business, you learned a second language, you know, all the things you can think of that you might be proud of in your life, write them down. Because what I found is that over time, we've forgotten our power and we've forgotten that some of those things that at one time were hard to do, we just overlooked them. So we want to empower ourselves. That's step one. Step two is we want to reflect. We want to take 30 seconds and reflect back and we want to circle all those skills, accomplishments and wins that we're once fearful of. Again, because sometimes you just do something and you don't think anything of it, but you go, wait a minute. I once was fearful of that. You, know, you think back to the dentist who goes to dental school for the, the first time and they, they got to actually drill on a human or a doctor who's going to do a physical for the first time in, in medical school. You're actually going to put your hands on a patient. There's some fear there. Or the day you open your business and the public can come in, you've got to connect them. You've got to sell something, right? 
Is anybody even going to show up today to offer that opportunity to do business together? And so you want to circle those skills that you're once fearful of. The third step is to take 30 seconds and do some observation. And on a scale of one to 10, how does the current fear compare to the average of your past fears on a scale of one to 10? One being less fearful, 10 being more fearful. And it's not so that you can know whether you, know, you don't always want to have that fear being less. You know, your average fear could be a seven, but maybe you're only at a two or three for whatever you're about to go do. Or maybe it's the opposite way around. Maybe your fear has like been a five historically, but this one's a 10 because you're really overwhelmed. You just want to create the awareness. Where, are, where am I in this moment? And the last step for two minutes, you just want to strengthen your identity around the skills, abilities, and the reasons why you're primed to overcome your current fear and step into your power. And so what this exercise does is give you five minutes to ground yourself, to remember your power, to begin to create ownership over your life, and to step into that moment with intention. And so whether you're starting your day out, going into work, you might do this in your car without this worksheet and just think through it mentally. Do some rehearsal before you step into the office or that next call, or maybe you're going into a surgery, or maybe you're going even home to you know, re-engage with your family after a day of work and you've got to shift mm -hmm. gears. This is a nice, all these, this form is a nice way to re-engage something you're about to go do that feels like the stakes can be a little higher. What have you found out of the four steps that you have in this five minute fear formula? One of the biggest hurdles for people to get over, um, is there a certain step that, you know, that you focus maybe more on with your clients because there's a, there's a hurdle there. The hurdle for most clients is that it's too simple. They want some massive, they want some wildly sexy, you know, flashy thing that's going to be this massive uh, system. And yet this is only five minutes and it's simply an exercise of creating awareness and remembrance. And it feels too simple and too small. And yet it's the most overlooked experience you can create is what are the things that I am capable of doing? Can I remember them? Can I think about them? Can I honor them? You know, we're not really good at honoring who we are at our core. We're really good at seeing other people, holding space for other people. We are not great at looking at what makes us great at who we are, our skills, our accomplishments, and celebrating those victories. And so it's not necessarily one step, it's the whole process. And so when they can sit down, find those five minutes, whether it's a daily practice or just coming to it when you know you're about to have something significant come up and giving that five minutes to honor what's about to take place, that they begin to see the shifts and how they ultimately meet themselves with loving kindness. Because so many people, especially entrepreneurs, are perfectionists, they're hard on themselves, they have high expectations, and you, you rarely take time to slow down and celebrate and rest and recover. And so this is a way to help ground yourself in a space and time that sets you up to navigate difficult conversations, difficult moments, and create uh, opportunity to perform when the stakes are high. So when you walk somebody through the five minute formula, how often do you recommend them actually going through this just when they have these events? Or is this something that like journaling that they should be doing on a daily basis? When we work one to one with the client, especially at the highest levels, you're getting really in depth to learn about the human in front of you. And so there isn't one formula. That's what I love about the work I do is that the fear formula isn't a fear formula. It's what's your fear formula. And so in the course of a relationship with the client, we get to understand how they best work. They may need a season where for 90 days they do this every single day to create that habit a feeling into their own personal life to create massive amounts of awareness because they've forgotten who they are. They've gotten so far away from what makes them powerful, unique, and connected to that source that they need that remembrance. Somebody else may just need to do that once a week. 
you know, if you're going to get that, you know, every Friday night you, or every Friday you have that thing, you know, you have to deliver really powerfully. Okay. I'm going to take this five minutes to prepare. It's almost like a meditation. Understood. It really is down to the individual experience of what they need to perform when they're challenged. So when you're doing one-on-one coaching with people, you had mentioned a term, I think you said like a higher level of of performance maybe um, is what you're referring to. But can you walk through like some of the one-on-one coaching that you've done? Obviously, each situation is the boss, but you know, what's the end goal of that coaching process? My process is to provoke clients to extraordinary growth. And so a typical client comes to me, whether they're um, a business owner or an executive, they typically are already successful. They've had a high level of their expression implemented into the world. They're doing great things, but they plateaued or they've hit a wall or they're stagnant and they know there's something more. Sometimes it's just simply leadership and communication. How do I re-engage the world in a way that we can shift culture, shift the expectations? And they have a little bit of understanding that this probably starts with them rather than the external world of all the people around them. But they don't have that person, that place where they can go to, to be fully honest. You know, the last decade, a lot of my work has been working with local market leaders, specifically dentists. So we're seven-figure business owners. You know, they're creating mid to high six-figure, even seven-figure incomes. And yet they can't go to anybody in their local community to fully understand their experience because they're supposed to be pillars of the community who are successful, right? And they do have the financial success, but they've raised the bar on their income. And so they're living maxed out or they're tapped out financially because they, they took some big loans out to start their practice or grow their practice. They have a space they can come to and now be vulnerable to really be honest about, hey, like I'm struggling. Everybody in my community knows that I'm successful by the standards of the house, the cars, the business, but my personal relationship with my spouse is struggling or my kids, or I just want to grow my practice and I'm, I feel I'm just stagnant. And when you can step into conversations in a coaching environment where they have the freedom to be expressed, to be honest, to be vulnerable, but also be provoked and challenged to step into that next level, they're able to shift the experience. And so whether that's uh, you know, an executive who's kind of tapped out, needs a, a fresh spark to illuminate and reignite the fire, or they're an athlete, it's the conversation around what fears are present, how can we embrace the fear and provoke that human into that next level of life that, again, this isn't just about moving you from A to B. That's easy to do over time. It's about the inner workings so that we can shape your values to illuminate and spark that next season of life that's going to be refreshing, filled with joy, to see the wonder and beauty in life. And that creates a little different conversation because most high-end entrepreneurs, high-level entrepreneurs, they're looking for the end result. And in my work, we find the end result, but also tie it back to how to live a really beautiful life in between. If you own a business, Elite Benefits of America wants to remind you that health insurance open enrollments are either happening now or coming very quickly. And this is the time to review and implement a health care plan to make or keep you as the employer of choice. Deadlines for open enrollment range between November 1st and January 1st. Get ahead of the curve. The Small Business Special Enrollment Period, part of the Affordable Care Act, now allows employers with 49 employees and under to offer health benefits without contributing a dime to the employee plan. Help your employees save money on taxes with health insurance they're already paying for with their hard-earned dollars. Butch Zemar from Elite Benefits of America wants you to reach out to him today. Visit EliteBenefits.net or call 708-535-3006. 
Uh, was there more fear getting on stage uh, singing music, uh, or is it getting strapped into um, the seat of a race car? More fear on the music side simply because you're exposed. They can mm-hmm. see you. Uh, you can fail a little bit. You know, the failure feels a little more, even though hurting, it hurts hit, to hit a wall or another car, yeah. uh, the, the emotional impact of failing on stage, that tension feels a little greater. So I, I would say music definitely. Uh, <laughs> asphalt racing, I didn't really feel, feel that much fear around. The dirt racing produced a little more fear just because the danger factor is a little higher. And I didn't start dirt racing until I was almost 30. It was my late 20s, the first time I'd ever raced on dirt. And so just not having that time being acclimated in my, my teens or 20s, early 20s, I think produced a little more apprehension just to figure out how to, how to run on dirt successfully. But uh, music and speaking still has a, enough, you know, my, my greatest fear is still being seen. And so if I step on stage, you see me, right? Mm-hmm. And so I'm even today navigate my personal fears of being seen on stage, but I step into it because that's where my greatest power unfolds and people experiencing me in that way on those platforms. So when you were racing you went from asphalt to dirt uh, track, uh, did you have to learn how to drive all over again? Because I've heard the, obviously the terrain's a little bit different. It was almost a brand new experience. You know, on, on asphalt, mm-hmm. you have a spotter, someone who's up on a stand looking down at the racetrack, giving you information, what cars are behind you, where they are. Mm-hmm. On dirt racing, you don't have that. And so you're basically going off a of feel and hearing the, the engine sounds of cars coming on the outside or the visual of seeing a, a car with their right rear flying at you from the inside and you're sliding through the corner. You're going into a corner pitching the, the right rear and basically driving off of the either left rear or right rear, but you're sideways the whole time. And so it's just a whole new sensation, a different feel. And you really, really have to trust, you know, you have to trust you're driving on asphalt because you don't want to be flat sideways. Mm-hmm. But it's a whole other thing to be doing that consistently on dirt throughout a run, looking at, okay, the, the track is actually moving and changing as the conditions change throughout the night between how much rubber is laid down, the moisture in the dirt. So it's a, it's a lot more technical driving. I can see that. And of course, you know, there's that kid's movie that always says that in order to go right, you got to turn left because otherwise you end up in the ditch, right? This has uh, definitely been uh, been great. And I, I appreciate the, a lot of the life experiences that you brought to the table. And of course, I don't, I, I don't know what I would have said if I, the guy that put my hand out or put this hand out there was Tony Stewart. I, I, I'm not into racing as much as you. I, I'm socially involved in it, I guess, and to a certain degree. But what what guy doesn't um, like adrenaline rush when it comes to racing? So that was still would have been a cool experience. But speaking of adrenaline rush, though, um, so like how could a guy go from elite sport of racing? And you said you're kind of in transition. So how do you keep the adrenaline feed, right? Because, you know, it's not like you could just walk away. So what are you doing now to, to kind of satisfy that, that need, that rush, that, that intensity? Well, we still have opportunities to get in race cars. My friend Corey Cruzman runs a sprint car driving school out in Ventura, California. And so I still go out and play in the dirt sometimes just to, to run some laps. I have some friends in North Carolina as I'm actually making the move from, from Nashville in a couple of weeks to live in Charlotte uh, for the next season of my life, which is kind of the hotbed of NASCAR and short tracks. So I'll be spending time at plenty of racetracks. And really the, the beautiful thing about my work with Fear Formula is not only are we doing one-to-one coaching, but we have experiences coming up where we're gonna bring clients out in group settings to racetracks, maybe put them in a sprint car at Ventura, maybe put them in a late model at Hickory, let them turn some laps, embrace their own journey and experience through fear and help them create conversations around how they can navigate leadership and communication 
through experiences that I've had, but show them uh, a glimpse of my world for a minute. So getting to play with clients in fun settings, <laughs> hey, we, might, we might even put them in a, a Lamborghini or a Porsche at certain race racetracks around the country and different road courses. So we'll have some fun experiences coming up in 2024 to have some clients, whether male or female, come out mm -hmm. and join us at some racetracks to test their fear. Well, definitely hands-on experience when it comes to uh, your fear formula. Hey, if anybody that's listening to this podcast that had an interest in reaching out to you, maybe to expand the conversation from where we're at right now, or if they want to do a little bit more uh, with you to talk about the the fear formula, how do they get in touch with you? The two best places would be my website, tylerwilliamslive.com or Instagram, which is at twilliamslive. Those are the, the two best ways. The website has all the music and racing background, plus current coaching and speaking opportunities. If you want to bring me into your organization to stir up the, the culture just a little bit and provoke some fears and embrace a conversation that maybe hasn't been had before. And if you want to have the five minute fear formula in hand, you can go to five minute fear and download that PDF and put it in front of your, your face. And you can look at it every single day by printing out a ton of them and just have them ready to go whenever you feel like you need to, to step into it. And so whether you just want to talk about your fears on Instagram and shoot me a DM, or you want to find out more about some events coming up where we're going to go to some racetracks and provoke some opportunities to, to step into your fear, I uh, would love just to have a, a good conversation and, and meet anyone who wants to step out and introduce themselves. Sounds good, uh, Tyler. This has definitely been good. I appreciate your time and, and the information you share with our audience. Maybe we'll have you back again, maybe when you get settled in Charlotte. That'd be great, Butch. I really appreciate the time. Yeah.